passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. A-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind the Dynamite. It's John Pollock here with Waiting, an extremely busy and extremely um, awful day in wrestling uh, in general. Uh, we're going to be speaking about uh, off the top. Way, how are you doing tonight? Better than a lot of people. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, we're just going to dive right into things. Obviously, the biggest story today and one in recent memory is the WWE undergoing what would be the, the largest day of cuts, I would say, in their history. I mean, we have really gotten away from those days where you would get those those Friday bulk releases, but nothing I can recall ever coming close to this level that has decimated seems like too strong of a word, but in terms of volume, it's just unprecedented of this amount of people that were either released or furloughed as a response, the WWE's response to what they're undergoing, which, I mean, that in and of itself, I think, brings about... Um, closer analysis, because this is not a fully formed picture. I think that we can analyze this because so much of this to me is part and parcel with what is the status of these television contracts. Do you feel similar way? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I guess w without knowing the, the specifics, it's hard to say exactly, but I mean, I'm sure everything is connected. Um, with, you know, whatever, with whatever their financial ecosystem is, uh, I'm sure there'll be plenty of, of reasons to come, but I, I mean, at the forefront, of course, is their main, you know, driver of, of their f core finances and that's their TV deals. That's it. And to me, it's, it's three options that this come down. It comes down to number one is they're being paid all of their television rights, as you would imagine, and you can't at all justify what is being done here if that's the case that is their core revenue driver it was they were on pace this year to have their their biggest 
most profitable year. And even with all of the 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 pandemic going on, if those television rights are being paid in full, there's nothing to suggest they cannot hit that marker. So that's one option. Sure. Two, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Please, please continue. Let me just outline them and then please give yeah. me your, your feedback. Number two would be either, either Fox, NBC, Universal, or both wanting to go back to the table and renegotiate these rights. That would be kind of in the middle. And then the most extreme one would be in somehow that they cannot pay them at all at this point, which would disqualify the idea of continuing with your programming at this point. So I, I don't know what the situation is. I don't think anyone has. I've certainly, you know, inquired. I don't think Fox and NBC Universal are going to be necessarily disclosing this, but I will say uh, for next week's uh, quarterly investors call, that has to be top of mind from all of these investors and WWE having to uh, paint a picture of what is our financial outlook for 2020. But uh, please give me your thoughts. Well, I mean, I, I think it's it's absolutely right to to you know consider what what those what what the TV deals how that might have affected the, these decisions. Um, at the same time, I I don't completely discount the fact that this is simply the WWE wanting to you know slim down its roster and perhaps you know seeing a, an opportunity to do that, uh, regardless of who knows. I think what what the status of those deals currently are um you feel that even the tv rights being a hundred percent that this is still a measure that they're taking i think it's at least possible um because ultimately the money that they're saving by cutting these talents i i don't think will make that big of a difference if they lost out on that tv um those tv contracts i I mean, I, I, I think I'm willing to consider anything, um, and I can't really pinpoint, you know, and say that one one thing is the reason why uh, several people are are out of work. I think the to me, it, it's it's become pretty clear that their talent roster has been pretty bloated for quite a while, and uh, that that's their doing. They have yeah. stockpiled that talent. That is completely on them. Yes, yes, and they have been paying exorbitant amounts to retain talent and bench them in many cases mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh you know the i think an opportunity to we're also talking about a landscape right now where i think that pressure to retain people is certainly not there you don't have a, uh, any wrestling competition outside of aew right now who clearly you know i don't think they would be uh there's no danger right now for any of these talents to show up on another show to you know uh, become superstars because nobody is really making superstars at the moment. Um, so there, there are a number of factors involved, and I, I mean, I think people can speculate, but unless you're you're really Vince McMahon, um, I suppose uh, we we can only really speculate for the time being. Here are some numbers, okay? So for 2019, their core content rights were listed at 348.6 million dollars, and those would those would escalate because that only includes one full quarter of the new Fox deal and the new contract with NBC Universal for Raw. So you know, multiply that by by four full quarters of those new contracts in 2020. Um, those rights were going to go that much higher. Free cash flow in the the end of the fourth quarter last year was just over 106 million dollars as well, 
and projections that, I mean, that is something here is the WWE simply trying to meet their projections for, for shareholders. They, they listed for 2020, uh, projected Oweebda Oweebda between 250 and 300 million dollars for the year and that was tempered with Vince McMahon stating it could be higher because of this potential uh deal for this over the top deal that they were uh, touting right after the the loss of George Barrios and Michelle Wilson. My point in all of this is that yes, this is a company that is beholden to to shareholders. We are also going through a pandemic at this point and the WWE is in a position, this is very much affordable. This is something that these cuts right now, um, they, they are certainly just slashing all potential cost at this point. And it, it's hard to get a, a full picture of it when we don't know what the situation is with the television rights. Uh, but that said, you know, Brandon Howard, who we're going to be having on the show on Thursday on The Hangout, he did this study about a week or so ago looking at the prospect of the WWE not being able to – like this this empty arena business lasting the entire year and that was contingent on the rights fees staying in place that they could still hit record profits this year. Like a record level of operating income even in the empty arena era at this point. And when we look at they have been producing these shows, that that's the part that is somewhat – conflicting is if your argument is that these shows are being done because of the television rights, then we can't also justify these cuts because of the television rights that have been impacted. Like something has to give here. Either we have been doing these live shows when television rights are compromised or we're making these cuts when there have been no issue with the television rights so far so that to me is the the major question and i can't give like my my full analysis without knowing the answer to that of of what is the state of fox and nbc universal in this whole thing that are keeping very quiet on this well i i think we know that a number of the revenue streams are going to be cut off this you know throughout this period and i think uh trying to recoup that in the form of cuts to salary uh salaried employees and also uh just uh, independent contracted employees. What, what are we looking at? Ticket sales, merchandise. Those are those are two that have been hit se- severely. Mm-hmm. But that is, you know, in the grand scheme of things. Like again, we go back. Like if if they are being paid for their television right now, that that's a moot point in the, in the grand scheme of what their what their profit and loss sheet is going to reflect this year. Okay. Yeah. I t- I suppose to me it's it's still. What is in it for them to retain an Aiden English or a Sarah Logan or a Mike Kyoto or an EC3? You, the, the same thing in signing all of these people when it was absolutely imperative that they, that they sign Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows to long-term deals, that they would not let Mike Bennett leave and, and get out of his deal, that they would – like they signed all of these people and now in the midst of, of a pandemic – and listen, people are going to have different opinions of what the what the responsibility is of a company in this situation. But I think that those expectations are are gradual when it comes to like what is the function of your profitability 
profitability is designed to give you that much more leverage and to be nimble in in these times that you have that ability to do what you would like with it. And if you feel that there is a responsibility to your independent contractors, to your employees during this period, uh, some of which who have been going on the road at this point and making sure that these uh, contracts and these programming commitments are being fulfilled um, and you're and you're cutting them at a point where it's not a case of just simply, well, pick myself up and go to another company. There is nobody that is going to be in a in a deep hiring phase at the moment and for the foreseeable future. Um, all I'm saying is that in this instance and Dana, Dana White may very well uh, be called a hypocrite later this year. But as of now, has stated that there will be no cuts to the UFC, and they are in a far more less nimble position than WWE is to make sure that they can make payroll. Like, this is not a company that is contingent on whether they are going to be profitable or lose money this year. Like, that is pretty much out of the question at this point. It is just a question of how profitable will we be and what are the expectations that the stock market will have on us during a global pandemic. Certainly, yeah. And I, to me, I, I feel like that's more so the bottom line, um, in my opinion, of what's going on here. I think everything that you hear, especially prior to these like you know quarterly reports, whether it be Vince McMahon touting a, a new uh, over-the-top deal, it's, or, or in this case, trimming the roster so that they can you know um, promote that they've, they've really... Tr- um, lessened and really whittled down the company into uh, its essential staff members. I think everything to me is to just inspire, um, you know, uh, positive growth in the stock and to tell people that we are making changes so that people should have confidence in us that we are doing the best we can to make this uh, as profitable a company as possible. And, you know, that comes with perhaps doing what they can to beat expectations. Um, I, 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 you know, I, you're right. Like we, without, I think knowing further details, it's really hard to say, I guess I just, it's, it's hard for me to picture that, you know, releasing, um, Alexander Jaxic would have any sort of impact at all, um, on, you know, something as big as like a NBC or a Fox deal. Being in no, but it's it's the totality. I mean, you're you're looking at you know the, like the the bottom rung here that has been let go. But this is like this is Kurt Angle. This is like all like a significant portion of your producers that have been furloughed in all of this. I mean, this is this is unlike any like we have we saw in you know past generations or at least past years like the post mania cuts that would come. Nothing like this. Like this is this is enormous, mm-hmm. and I, I don't expect that. Um, shareholders are necessarily going to be um, uh, fe- feeling that the WWE is, you know, above a certain level. I, I don't know if they hold them to that level. Um, but I will say that during this pandemic, when we are seeing other leagues across the board that are avoiding this, that we're seeing instances like Endeavor, where the the, the heads of Endeavor are giving up their salaries at this point. And there, there, there was outlined here that there would be executive um, salary reductions as well in all of this. I think it's just, you look at this and here are the, the workers on the front lines that are ultimately paying this price. 
many of which have been on the road during this time that don't have any kind of representation either, that you have to look at this overall, that um, is there, like, let, let's go back to, you know, the Jamal Khashoggi story and the WWE's persistence to go forward with that show. What was the result? Like, that was a a corporate-minded decision that we are putting profitability ahead of this awful event that has occurred, this murder, and the stock went down significantly at that point. Like that was that was Wall Street saying this is in bad taste. And I think that at times we just dismiss that um, ethics in all of this is completely discounted when it comes to the stock price. And that's not always the case at this point. This well, my bottom line here, and but, I'll but, pass it off to you: is this is affordable for WWE? Oh, w- without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, when we talk about you know this impacting the professional wrestling industry, the one company that really could bear all of this uh, without cutting anybody would be the WWE. Now, of course, that's you know, even if again, uh, anyway, we'll we'll talk more about this with Brandon, who who maybe is a bit more in tune with some of the specifics. But I mean, just on the on the note of uh, the stock. Um, it went up at close today. It closed at what? Just over $38 today. 38.9. So we should go through all of the names here and this is quite the list. So, um, here is the, the latest. If you are not familiar with all the names that uh, were either cut or furloughed today, those that are not familiar with, with furloughed, it's essentially, uh, an unpaid leave with the, a potential of a return. And that seems to be the category that the producers have found themselves in. So there is that potential that when things get back to normal, that you could see some of those producers brought back. We will see. Um, But of those names that the WWE announced today, Kurt Angle, Aiden English, Drake Maverick, Heath Slater, Leo Rush, Carl Anderson, Eric Young, Luke Gallows, Kurt Hawkins, EC3, Mike Chioda, Sarah Logan, Eric Rowan, Primo and Epico, Mike and Maria, Zack Ryder, No Way Jose, uh, Rusev, uh, and then there have also been NXT cuts, but they are not announcing the NXT cuts, so it's somewhat uh, trickling out those that are disclosing it on their own. So ones we are aware of, MJ Jenkins, Deanna Perrazzo, Alexander Joksik, Jerry Soto, who was a member of the Spanish announce team, and uh, Josiah Williams as well. Um in uh, in addition to that, uh, Mike Johnson has just added um, three coaches from NXT in uh, Kendo Caution, um, uh, Serena Deeb, and Ace Steel as well, coaches at NXT. I would imagine we're going to see more NXT names trickling out, and it just seems like it's being left to them to disclose uh, that they have been let go um, because WWE is not including them in their master list on the website. But this is... This is a stunning amount of people, way. Yeah, yeah. And to add to that, uh, the nine producers that have been furloughed, according to PW yes. Insider, are Shane Helms, Lance Storm, Billy Kidman, Mike Rotunda, David Finley, Pat Buck, Sean Davari, Scott Armstrong, and Sarah Stock. It has to be an incredibly scary time for a lot of these individuals that in the worst cases that we have seen in the past – at the very least, it's it's a new world that you're going out to, whether it be independence, whether it's Japan, whether it is TNA, Ring of Honor. Right now, way it's it's the great unknown. You don't have that immediate chance to just jump somewhere. And I, I would assume that there are 
90 day no competes uh, for, for, for some of these as well. So there might be a, a bit of a cushion, but it's not as though you can plot out your your next your your landing spot after this either because all of these companies are feeling this at this point they have their own rosters that i think are going to take their priority to make sure they can um they can take care of them uh Mm -hmm. matt taven just did an interview today mentioning that roh is they're paying their performers right now they're contracted performers throughout this whole time even though they are not producing shows so I think you have to look at a whole too of like the the wrestling industry and who are trying to take care of their performers and for many that are so much that don't have these gigantic television deals and many that rely on producing live events that they cannot produce at this point. For sure, yeah. Um that I think just makes WWE look worse. I mean, but at the same time, you know, they are certainly the company um who who have uh, the, the the much larger roster of any of the other ones? They're also the company that makes a lot more money than all of the other ones. So, um, I don't know. I don't know where you where you decide to fall on that. Let's also mention that Andrea Listenberger, who is one of the yes. writers uh, and somebody who uh, reportedly has been responsible for the Otis and Mandy storyline, she was also let go, or at least she informed the world that she was let go. And of course, there are plenty of other people that are probably let go right now that we don't even know about. Um, so maybe in the days to come, we will find out more. Yes. Um, that's a whole other point of all this is the behind the scenes people. And I mean, how often do we watch these programs and talk about the WWE production team? But I think you would be struggling to name 10 people that are part of the WWE production team. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that to me is an unfortunate part in all of this very talented people that are out of work and, uh, they're not known and they, they don't get that, that credit. So yeah. um, keep those people in mind as well. Certainly. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm not really so concerned, honestly, about a Rusev who I feel like will land on his feet perfectly fine. But, you know, a writer, for instance, um, who people don't know about, it, it might be a bit tougher for, for somebody like that to find work after this. Um, it, it's, it's so funny, John, because it wasn't really that long ago when we we're hearing about talents trying to, get released you know even just as recently as like last week we were talking about the revival who are seemingly incredibly happy to like be released but obviously the world is very different right now and you know i i I don't dispute the fact though that maybe some of these talents i don't know given the circumstances it's, it's really hard to say but some of them i feel like it almost i almost get the sense that you know it's almost like a bad relationship that they found themselves stuck in that, you know, nobody really wanted to break up or at least they wanted to break up. But the other person wouldn't, wouldn't let them leave. And now they're almost forced to break up. And I almost like wonder if there's a sense of elation among some of these talents. But then you see a, a videos from a guy like Drake Maverick, who just heartbreakingly, you know, uh, recorded his like, you know, immediate reaction to getting released. And you can tell that for many of these talents, you know, being a part of this company was just a, I mean, it, it was a childhood dream being able to, you know, even play a role like Drake Maverick did doing the 24 seven title thing like that to him seemed like it meant the world and your heartbreak certainly, you know, for people like that, who, I mean, if there was any sort of like, I don't know, career vision that they might've had. It, it certainly was, was derailed today. So that always sucks. Yeah. I had this been just um, 
if everything was operating as usual, like, first of all, we would not see this level of cuts, but let's say we saw 10 cuts after WrestleMania, everything's going fine. Um, certainly there would still be the same criticism of WWE cutting people when they're uh, just swimming in profits. And I, I would say like, yeah, maybe some of them, they're just happy to be free and now they can go elsewhere. I don't think that is the case in this climate. I think these people have to be at, at the very least concerned about where my next paycheck is coming because it's not like saying, okay, I have a 90 day, no compete in 90 days. I'll have Japan. I'll have impact. I'll have AEW. We don't know that at all. It's not even the case of these companies being able to run in 90 days. It's what is the financial damage they are incurring on a weekly basis. And when they can finally get back to running shows is hiring going to be of the utmost priority. It's, it may just simply be like you are going to be struggling to keep keep working. And is it going to be independence that are your options? Like how many full-time jobs are going to be available in professional wrestling six months from now versus six months ago? Definitely. It's a question that I don't think anybody really can answer at the moment because we don't know when that'll be. Could be six months, could be less, could be more. Um, I, you know, I, I just... I I'm, I am curious to see you know in the downtime what somebody like let's say a Rusev or maybe somebody like an EC3 who I really felt like even just upon this news immediately seemed to like I don't know if he like just set up a DSLR himself or got a professional camera guy or what he seemed to have a promo ready to go like he seemed to have a whole character bio and synopsis ready to go so I think, like, you know, you're going to get guys who will be inspired now more than ever to, like, um, you know, prove the world wrong. Now they have a bit of a chip on their shoulder. You didn't use me. You let me go. Well, I'm going to, you know, Drew McIntyre you. Uh, maybe, anyway, um, I, I, I am curious to see that. But, like, for the for majority of, of these names, um, I, I don't know. Their future is certainly in question. Yeah. Um. I don't know how much more to to add to all of this. We're going to speak to Brandon Howard about this on on Thursday um, to chat about kind of just the whole uh, financial picture of the company and maybe go through potential um, scenarios of what is ultimately going to be, you know, to me coming down to the television rights situation. I think that is the the million dollar or should I say the five hundred million dollar question of where those those rights fees like if it's if it's being paid in full, if it's a renegotiation, if it's if it's something else. Um, so we'll chat with Brandon about that more on Thursday. But I'll just convey that like I I have spoken to a lot of people in in the company today, and this just seemed like this was the the worst day imaginable. And it's uh, something that it's it's awful for the people that are no longer with the company. That goes without saying. It is also devastating for the ones that are still there and are seeing. Um, this th- these people that they are with sometimes more than their families that is completely uh just throw thrown out the window and for many of them like not even getting to uh see them one final time they've been you know at not at shows together or or whatnot it's it just sounds like this was an incredibly incredibly awful day in WWE and that's probably the understatement of this show and it's scary to think that it might not be over. That's another point in all of this is I go back to when you and I had to experience this at our, our former employer, and it was 
going through a round of cuts and the and the meeting afterwards to address everybody, the warning was, we may not be done yet, and in six months may have to go through all of this again. And that's another element to all of this is does if the WWE is dead set on meeting a, a certain uh, level of expectation, it's like, what is that expectation level? And in this COVID-19 world, uh, six months from now, if if they continue to slash costs. Well, the fact that there are so few NXT names officially recognized on this thing, I mean, you, you know, and, and, the, and the fact that I feel like there, I feel like more, I just get the feeling more is, more is to come, unfortunately. Do you see this being an ultimate shift in, like, are, are we gone from the days of seeing like these mid to lower tier um, lower card performers getting these enormous deals um, are those out the window at this point in the immediate future? Yeah, I would absolutely say so. Um, I, I think a lesson learned from all this is that I, whatever hoarding of talent is not just, I think financially, you know, irresponsible. I think creatively it's irresponsible. It's resulted in a lot of people that have largely had unsatisfying careers, I would say. You know, a lot of people being sold false hope that one day they will become a WrestleMania main eventer and then ultimately wasting years of their careers. Um, you know, not to say the alternative is that much brighter of like, I, I suppose not just, I don't know, may, living paycheck to paycheck off of like your independent bookings. I mean, I, I, whatever, that's, that's another debate, but I would hope that the WWE would learn from something like this where, did it really make that big a difference? You know, having... Uh, like hiring the several people that that that, that they had, um, keeping AEW or whoever in New Japan or, or whoever from getting them, it it to me made no difference on this war that they've been fighting. Yeah, I just you really do have to take a step back and you look at you know just the lack of representation that these performers have, and when we talk about what these like regardless of what your opinion has been about these shows going forward, the justification has always been that the WWE is fulfilling these television contracts. And let's never forget that the people that were at the front lines going to the greatest amount of risk going to these shows and exposing themselves to, they didn't know, like for all the precautions you can take, they were putting themselves at risk and were about to do so weekly and some will continue to do weekly and their share in those television contracts is absolutely nothing. Dude, Sarah Logan like just worked raw. No way. Jose just worked on raw. They, and you know, if you ask them, I mean, somebody like no way Jose, I mean, in the video he, he released, he says, if he knew it was going to be his last match, he would have taken it in a lot more on many levels. But that's the thing. All wrestlers, are grateful for the opportunity and that's the shitty part because that means they'll be able to be exploited but i mean these are guys who are also taking risk traveling in a climate where people shouldn't be traveling um and then you know next day you find out that you're released uh in i mean it's it's a shitty situation and and listen this is all coming in the midst of a shit storm that the wwe has already been through um, it feels like every time we go on air, John, there's just like another terrible thing about this company that we're talking about. Like just not even a week ago, we're talking about their first positive case. And then it's the thing with the live TVs. Um, and then it's like, you know, something like Jerry Lawler being president at a show. And then of course today it's this, uh, it's just, it, man, it's one thing after another. It's nonstop. 
and I, I just feel uh, I just I feel awful for all of the talent and the producers and the writers, everybody affected. Uh, but there is an extra level of just um, shock. Shock is not even the word of the ones that were front and center doing these shows and doing so because whether it was, you know, this is uh, we're part of the team and our leader is moving forward. So it's all systems go. We're going to do these shows. And this is what happens. I think that's really that that's a real tough pill to swallow if you were one of those people that were involved in, in any of these shows. And then you get that caller text today. It's it's a shitty situation. Yeah. So we're going to move on because there are several other stories. Um, let let's stay in WWE because there's been some um, uh, t- some great reporting about what has been going down in Orange County. Um, uh, John Elba has been doing uh reporting for uh My News uh, thirteen down in Florida. He actually did a podcast with a friend of the show. Josh Nason at the Wrestling Observer site uh, talking about this, but it's going over the the executive order that was dated April 9th and that has essentially allowed for sports with a national audience that have are closed off to the public to be able to run within the state of Florida. And this is kind of just putting different pieces together. Number one is the fact that the same day that this executive order was dated April 9th was the day that Linda McMahon's American first action pack was committing or announcing that they were committing 18 and a half million dollars in spending in the Orlando and Tampa markets. And of course the action pack, they are um, a spokesman for the action pack spoke to ABC denying any, this is nothing more than a coincidence. Um, Ron DeSantis is also stating that it had one didn't have anything to do with the other. And it very well may not have one to do with the other. It may be a coincidence, but I think we do have to list that as, you know, a fact that is out there, the timing of this all. Um, yeah. Ron DeSantis has claimed that the WWE uh, running is critical to Florida's economy and has not really elaborated on what that means. I mean, is there some financial kickback for the state in running these shows? Is this a long-term play that they do not want to jeopardize a WrestleMania going elsewhere in two years? Which, I mean, even now, the mayor of L.A. is talking about large-scale events that may not happen until next year. And it's not going to be too far before you're looking at will WrestleMania in California be viable. That has been a state that, I mean, we have seen from the, the UFC's uh, track record so far. That is a state that has been extremely cautious in this whole pandemic as well. It's fucking crazy to me um, that we have world the, leaders that are, oh man, I, I mean... It's- and listen, maybe maybe these are two separate instances, but I'm just laying out these facts. Sure. And then I, sure. I think the most telling here is that the um, um, they they contacted the sheriff's office in Orange County, who said they were called several times to the WWE PC uh, quote over the past few weeks, and the WWE were told that you are not in compliance with the existing executive order and were to shut down. And we know they did not shut down any of these shows. They, the sheriff's office was called again this past Monday, which they were doing raw. And then the new executive order was shown and they were allowed to run. 
and that was dated April 9th. And that's very strange, the timing, because this executive order, this new version, was introduced – it's dated April 9th. I did not see anyone talking about this thing until Monday. It was like that was news to everyone until the mayor of Orange County, Jerry Demings, revealed that. And, I mean, for that to drop on th- uh, last Thursday and no one is aware of this thing until Monday um, anyway – so that, that's where it is. But yes, like there were complaints and the sheriff's office stating that they even told WWE you're not in compliance and you are to shut down. And I don't know what happened that ultimately they did not shut down, but it obviously was either something they could not enforce or uh, whatever the other options were. They ran the shows. I mean, clearly, I, I think they they feel like they have... um. I think a level of power that seems to be above the authorities. And again, it's crazy to me that, you know, a company with that level of power um, and that level of resources has to justify um, releasing low level talent. Yeah, it's um, this is not a bright chapter in the history of the WWE this past month. No, not at all. Terrible. And and the shitty thing is, is that I feel like with all of their bad stories, I don't know how, how I, I feel like they'll just get away with it. You know, I think we'll all move on because they're the only game in town uh, or at least, you know, the, the biggest game in town. And in a year's time, you know, will this even be brought up? Will things really change? What what repercussions are they going through now? You just mentioned their their stock price. They, you know, the, the TV rights is, is a big question mark uh, of what, what is going on there. But other than that, I mean, yes, they're getting slammed in the press, but they they don't react to that. They're running their shows. They have this new executive order. They've got the governor backing them. They've got the president of the United States identifying the great Vince McMahon in his, in his press briefings. It's like they are, to me, as... Um, insulated as anybody to have no concern about continuing to run all of their shows. They have talent that, I mean, as always, we look at these cases of, is this, is this the seminal moment that talent put their foot down? And I'm sorry, but I don't feel that's a realistic um, outcome in all of this of talent saying enough is enough. Oh, it's not a system that's built for that whatsoever. Um, I, you know, and I think they understand that as long as they treat their top stars well, that possibility I don't think exists. We go over to Japan, and this was an interesting story today. All these figures um, from uh, various Japanese promotions um, got together uh, with Hiroshi Hase, who is the Japanese Minister of Education, Culture, Sports, Science, and Technology. Um, the meeting was held at Tokyo's Lower Assembly Hall, and it featured the likes of Hiroshi Tanahashi, uh, Naoki Sugabayashi, the chairman of New Japan, uh, Takaki Kidani, um, representatives from All Japan, DDT, NOAA, Mayu Iwatani was there from Stardom, uh, from the Diana promotion, Tokyo Joshi Pro, like all these different representatives. And in it, they made a formal proposal asking for testing kits for performers and also compensation for contracted wrestlers who are not able to perform at the moment. And in one of the, like, just look at this difference in uh, reaction here. This was Hiroshi Tanahashi's quote. 
He said, while events have been canceled, our wrestlers have been training diligently and maintaining their focus for an eventual return. Yes, not being able to wrestle does make a lot of us concerned for our livelihoods, but in the world of sports, be that baseball, soccer, or sumo, I feel that professional wrestling should be the anchor. I think it should be acceptable for professional wrestling to be the last sport to return to full activity. I want people to know that when professional wrestling is back, then and only then, it truly means that Japanese entertainment has properly recovered. They are arguing for the most amount of time and most amount of caution aimed at their industry. You know, it, it's very noble to, to hear Tanahashi and, you know, by extension, I think New Japan say something like that. Um, I, I do wonder if that sentiment would be agreed by some of the smaller promotions that, you know, basically are forced to like face being shut down altogether if they don't run, if they wait that long. But that said, I think, you know, if- this is pretty detrimental to New Japan. I'm not saying like they're in the position of, the, you know, a smaller company like a Tokyo Joshi Pro. But I mean, New Japan, it is still like they are a live event business at their core. Well, for the sake of comparison, right? OK, we're talking about the industry leader in Japan who have publicly stated in the form of Hiroshi Tanahashi that they are willing to be the last sport to come back. Um, and you look at the, the leader in the industry on this side of the world. And really, in the, by the entire world, that is the level of, I think, tact that I would expect from a leader, you know, a true leader, to be able to sacrifice themselves and be able to say, we are, we, even if we're not going to make money, we're going to take care of our talents because we can afford to do it, because we, we have a lot. We have a lot of resources. And just to kind of see the opposite tact taken by a company like the WWE, who, I mean, I feel like it, they're, they're like, they're more like, greedy than like you know an independent wrestling promotion who who's on the verge of collapse has every right to be um so dude look at like name any independent promotion and that's why i i I will push back if anyone is stating mma and professional wrestling are not addressing this um the the outliers have been wwe and ufc it has been the large amount of companies that have stopped the rohs the NWAs, the, the, like everyone pretty much at this point now in New Japan, now that you have a state of emergency, it is, it's the, it people is the with few, the, it's, but it's the biggest that have been continuing. Well, it's the ones with the resources that can get away with things like buying a fucking island or, you know, whatever else is going on in Florida right now um, that have the ability to, to get away with, with not following the law. Um, they're the ones that are making the biggest attempts. And I found out that me and Mayu Iwatani share a very similar um, event. Both of us, because of this pandemic, had to cancel our birthday parties. <laughs> Heartbreaking. Well, She was supposed to have a birthday party February 19th, and I just... Three weeks later, had to cancel my birthday party because of this. You know, maybe we can throw a joint party for you and Mayu. Uh, you know what? I might maybe maybe I will seek out Mayu Iwatani and we will get her for the unofficial uh, Mayu Iwatani John Pollock birthday bash. It makes perfect sense. Let's continue on down the list. Oh, I I feel you are just so tired of this man's name. Dana White is now targeting May the ninth for a return to promoting fights. Um, he is not. Uh, named a location, although Variety did a big piece on this, suggesting that the Apex 
in Vegas could be a potential venue if the Nevada State Athletic Commission is willing to sanction fights at that time. And of course, um, pending Disney's approval that the UFC can go forward, they have a golden ticket and a green light to run in Florida. There will be there will be nothing stopping them. And it would not even shock me way if the UFC ends up again, this would be contingent on Disney being OK with them going forward. Do you discount the idea of UFC doing a show at the Performance Center? Um, no, not at all. I mean, I think anything is possible. But if not the Performance Center, then you know what? I think another venue in in the state of Florida seems perfect. I think I think really it's like the state would not be stopping them. So I don't see why other venues would either at that point. Um, it's really concerning that this how many people are just dying to follow in the lead of Florida because they're 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 witnessing they are. They are feeling the pain of this pandemic on a financial level, on a personal level, and it -hmm. just – it concerns me. Are we going to look back two months from now and be saying, what were we thinking? Like if this is – you know, Gavin Newsom gave the the, the quote on the weekend, we don't run the 90-yard dash and we have to make sure we finish this thing correctly. And I don't think we're at 90 yards yet. No. Uh, Not at all. No. Um. It's, it is so, I, I, I really, it's, it's, it's hard for me to like say what's in the minds of like, you know, grown adults that are, are supposed leaders of of the society. I mean, I certainly have the way I look at things and you know what, like maybe, I mean, people are so convinced that, that I think their, their concerns are, are the right ones, um, that it's, it's it seems like it'll be a really difficult battle at this point to convince, you know, them otherwise until you start to see the numbers pile up. And the num- the, the scary thing though, John, is that the numbers are piling up, particularly yes. in Florida, and that doesn't seem to be influencing that much change at all. So, what does that tell you? And I mean even um Anthony Fauci, um you know, talking about the the theoretic return of sports this summer. Um this was um an interview that he conducted and he said uh, there's a way of doing it, but outlines that no one can come to the stadium. All of the players he's talking about regular sports league, all the players put up in big hotels and they're all surveyed and monitored and tested every single week. But essentially it's, it's building like, I don't even want to say an Olympic village, like having a lot, a hotel on lockdown where your function is to go to your room, get up, go to the game, and then you come back. And that is the summer of what they're they're like putting as a timetable. None of this, you're going home and then you're coming back each week. Like none of that stuff. Um so I mean yeah. that puts it into perspective of what, what risks are being taken now and what um the top infectious disease expert in the country is advising. Yeah, I don't really see that happening for uh, man any of those major leagues. Do you like quarantining essentially an entire league of players to play? Out well, here's the deal: season? they all have. It's not going to be a case of going to uh, na- name the baseball player and the baseball player is deciding on his own. It's going to be done as a collective decision because they have a players' association that is going to have their interests first and foremost, and not the leagues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. That is, that is a, a big difference. I, you know, I, I, I don't think any of this is, it's, it, it, it's hard to say like how, 
I don't think it's absolutely. I don't personally. I don't think it's viable. What 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 he's suggesting right now. I mean, it just may be his way of saying this is what's needed in order for this shit to be safe. And until you can do this, none of this shit is safe. So don't even think about it. Maybe that's what he's saying. But I think a, a big, you know, a big. We need strides in in like um, you know technology and innovation to really help move things along. And I think much of that comes in the form of testing and uh, widespread testing, easily accessible testing, accurate testing. Um, to implement something like that, you know, like he's suggesting basically testing somebody before every time they, they take the field, which at this point is completely impossible. Yeah. Um, just a few more here. AEW is going to go ahead with their double or nothing pay-per-view on, um, in May and have announced it will not be in Las Vegas, but they have not announced a location. It'll be May 23rd. Uh, as well, that following Wednesday, they were going to be doing Dynamite from Vegas as well. Uh, that will not be happening there. And they have rescheduled for the MGM Grand Garden Arena on May the 29th of 2021. So, I mean, this is going to bring about the debate about AEW. They have taped their television. They are fulfilling their obligations to TNT. Is this... Um, well, I think this is a, a step too far, but I also expect that there's going to be a tempered reaction to this in light of today's news where people are going to look at this as well we don't want to see AEW have to do the same things that WWE has done um and therefore they're running a pay-per-view to drive revenue i think that's going to be the debate here but i'm i'm still on my side of if it's not necessary it should not be done right now and i don't know if a pay-per-view should be necessary right now no i don't think it is um I mean that 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 is that is the argument. I I I do wonder if it's it'll be inevitable that these leagues will have to shut down because the alternative is that we just continue running until it this thing still you know for how long however long this thing exists. Who's who's going to shut them down? I mean this this can be done in Florida, and I I just I see no uh, leadership in that state. That is going to stop this. And when Orange County had deemed this non-essential, well, a conversation with the governor's office changed that. And that's that's what it comes down to. Unless this governor, Ron DeSantis, has a massive change or he is so pressured, um, this is going to be the state that you can run these shows in. Yeah. What what I am curious to you know consider, and this is you know it, it's kind of morbid and kind of grim, but this is also the reality of what we're dealing about. Like, how would AEW react to its first positive case? You know, God forbid somebody on that roster or within the crew or staff test positive. I mean, and it's, God, I, I don't want to, it's hard to think about, but at the same time, I want to see what their reaction is. You know, will they be, will they shut things down? Or, or I mean, obviously, I guess that would kind of depend on, on the, on the amount of spread, but how will they react versus how we've seen WWE react? Uh, I mean, I just, I, I just have faith in, both companies and maybe that's um maybe that's naive um i would say that AEW they have been far less to me reckless than WWE but they are not without criticism by by no means um absolutely not a- absolutely I, I, in but fact i would I, say I, if I, you look at if you look at the two examples though um one one is far more egregious than the other but well, there are, there are w- certainly criticism to be levied at both i actually wouldn't have said that like prior to um, them deciding to go live. Like I actually felt like WWE was taking more precautions, not having people ringside, um, 
you know, for what we know from Kevin Owens changing the mats all the time. And we, I mean, we know AEW has been taking a lot of precautions too, but you know, seeing things like, uh, Jimmy Havoc stick, stick his fingers down somebody's throat, shit like that. I've, I, I was actually like, I felt like WWE was doing better, but that, that of course completely changed once they decided to go live every single week. Uh, once they decided to fly everybody, including backstage interviewers, including Jim Ra- or uh, Jerry Lawler to do show their shows. And then of course, everything, you know, after a positive test, like, should I, should I keep going on? You know, the Linda McMahon stuff, like all of this other stuff, it, it, the scales are definitely tipped right now. Last thing here, uh, we won't go too deep into this. Here are just some ratings. Uh, Raw, um, back to their lowest of the year, 1,913,000 viewers down 9%. Um, they had a super low first hour. So as a result, the number didn't drop all that significantly throughout the three shows. So I don't know if you look at that as good or bad, but it was it was their third lowest in modern history. And that's you know kind of where I, I'm seeing this uh, leveling off at. So, and so John, does yep. that tell you that having matches, new brand new matches with talent that are that are um, uh, you know flown in versus having taped stuff or uh, having one less color commentator on the panel or one less backstage interviewer? Do any of these things make a difference? No, it doesn't. I don't think that, if anything, I think the the amount of new matches they're doing are driving people off more. Um, it, it certainly did. I think everyone could tell in my voice on Monday, like, I just I just did not get into that show at all. It was just, um, the atmosphere killed me. And I imagine, like, I, I don't think this is the lowest they're going to go. I think this, as long as they're doing these shows, I think you're whittling away at this audience week after week. And I don't know what it gets down to like is is 1.8 million people the number that will watch raw um on scramble vision if they had to on a monday night i don't know what the lowest number is but i don't think we've hit the lowest i mean i think these numbers are going to go down honestly regardless and if they are why continue to take the risk that you're taking yep and if you are doing these live tapings every week in order to save your contract, then then l- listen, something is not adding up here. If you're doing all of these live tapings to preserve your television rights, then it then how do you justify all these cuts? And if you're not getting all of your if if your television contract money has somehow been compromised in all of this, then why in God's name did you not tape all of this stuff and why are you going live? So there are questions and we don't have answers right now. Mm-hmm. And just some uh, other ratings notes here real quick. Dark Side of the Ring, the Jimmy Snook episode that we'll talk about on Friday night, 209,000 viewers. And then the FS1 block on Tuesday night, they actually did some pretty strong numbers by FS1 standards for the three straight episodes of Ruthless Aggression. They did uh, 226, 302, and 224,000 viewers, respectively, and then 161,000 viewers for Backstage that featured Edge and CM Punk, which I didn't see any of. Did you see any of Backstage? You know, I've only seen certain clips that have popped popped online of of Punk talking about Ronda... Says like Rhonda has the the crowd in the palm of her hands or something. Basically, she he's for it, for the angle. And I believe he also talked about um, both Braun, like basically both championship programs being too soon right now. So he was he was uh, just giving some storyline criticism. Basically, what would that show have looked like tonight? Oh God! Oh, 
What would it look like? I mean, I guess by next week, it'll, it'll kind of have cooled down. I, I, I thought that yesterday. I was like, what is this show going to look like tonight? Like, when you're avoiding all of this stuff. And then today, I mean, I, I don't there know. There will be um, some mention, but, like, I mean, you know, how much how much really, uh, like, dissection or analysis would you really expect? Yeah. All right. Um, we did almost an hour of news, so let's get into Dynamite. I mean, it uh, really, this really was, is the bulk of the show. It's, it's what's on everybody's mind. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're going to kind of blitz through Dynamite here. I'm going to say off the top, I don't know if it was y- yourself as well. Subconsciously, I enjoyed this show a lot more knowing this was taped weeks ago, and I'm not constantly staring at something that is happening in the moment and wondering about, like, at least that this is weeks away, th- that this was taped, that you know these people are, there There were no cases that came out of this, there were no, you're not watching it. I think it's actually, for me at least, and maybe I'm in the minority, it's a detriment watching these shows live Um with the risk factor, as opposed to these taped shows from several weeks ago. It's it's hard for me to get into anything knowing that, you know, people are actually being put in greater danger for my entertainment. Um, and absolutely, the fact that they even did these tapings, the fact that they're even wrestling itself poses, you know, a higher level of risk. Um, I I guess I, I've always, if, if you're going to take risk, like... I, I hope at least it is calculated and at only, you know, like, I hope you're mitigating it as much as you can. And I, I feel like AEW has demonstrated that, at least through this set of tapings, you know, by trying to bulk shoot as much as they have. I just want it to be economical and I don't want people's efforts to go completely wasted, which, I mean, this past week with people being flown in and then having their shit canceled, it really was. Hey, just to uh, bookend the the news segment, I I would be remiss not to give a, a massive uh, thank you to Andrew Thompson today. He was on top of everything, and um, you know Wednesday was was his day for the news, and it turned out to be um, probably the busiest day of the year, and not a lot of fun news to report on either. So um, a huge thank you to to Andrew for all his efforts today. Okay, the show began with a tape promo with uh, Jake Roberts and Lance Archer. And Roberts cutting a promo that the TNT championship was made for them because Archer commands attention for TNT and that belt is a bone and who wants to take that bone away from this dog? Lance is going to enjoy it. Jake has watched Colt Cabana for years. He's good, but not good enough. Archer was pushed out of this country, had to go make a living in Japan. He's pissed off. He's an animal. Listen to me or regret it. I thought this was one of Jake's better promos. I thought this was a really strong start to the show, and I think Jake has really found his rhythm with Lance Archer as the subject. Yeah, yeah. And I think, um, I guess knowing perhaps some of what, what's going on with Jake, uh, as far as I know right now, he is in DDP's, um, yes. uh, what, what does he call What is he called? The Accountability Crib? Accountability is that what he calls crib. it? Yeah, after, you know, some, um, I guess some, uh, him him mentioning that he's been... He was quarantined in a hotel. Quarantined in a hotel, and I think just you know not not doing the best uh, mentally, you know, just 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 from that environment. It it it, it makes me feel good to know that he at least for a time here was was kind of kept busy doing some work, and it it, t- it tells me that you know even in in a pre taped role, his he, he, hopefully he could still continue to keep busy, which I think. A lot of people need right now, but in particular, somebody like him. You know, some of Jake's earlier promos have been rather vague. Now, they sounded really cool, like they're Jake, Jake Roberts promos. 
but none of them have necessarily made me think about Lance Archer all that much until these past couple of weeks, you know, and this one in particular, I, I thought was directly focused on promoting Lance Archer and I thought did a really effective job of it. Yeah, I think he really comes across well in a taped setting as well. Our announcers for the night, the returning Chris Jericho with Tony Schiaffoni. Schiaffoni is what we prefer over Ski alone. Yeah. yeah. Um, Jericho's got to go watch uh, Starcade 83 maybe for some uh, variations on uh, Shivani. Um, they tee up the show, including a segment, Chris Jericho and the Bubbly Bunch with the uh, the screens where I, what I thought was we were going to get like like a Zoom conference call with them done in the style of like the Brady Bunch. But that's not exactly what we got. But that's kind of how they they set it up here with the graphic. It was pretty fun. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, this is, I think, part of the creativity that I really enjoy about these particular shows is to see how people can shoot their own video and bring it all together in some in in like pieces that actually are cohesive. Um and you, that's one of the things that I think separates AEW from, you know, a WWE production is that they are allowing a lot of their guys to shoot their own things and be really be creative with their own ideas. And, you know, from what I could tell, this was a, like a good idea that was safe to do. They did a feature on Cole Cabana. He said that he came oh, in oh, and before he- that, John, sorry, sorry to cut you off. They also promoted this AEW watch along contest. And I guess this kind of, you know, ties into what I was talking about. And the AEW Watch Along Contest is essentially them asking people to send video clips of them watching AEW. And I thought this was also a pretty good new idea to encourage like some level of fan interaction without having people in attendance. And, you know, ultimately what this will result in will be like a compilation of videos of fans you would expect going crazy watching at home. So it'll hopefully provide some sort of communal atmosphere for your future broadcasts. Even if, you know, you don't see the audience and the screens. Yeah. Yeah. It was a interesting idea that, that, that they came up with um, the cabana feature. He said that he came in, fans had some lowered expectations of him, but he's proving them wrong. He has too been dominant in other countries for the past 15 years. And he's going to come from underneath, show his worth. And he's out looking past Lance Archer. So that was our tournament match in the TNT championship uh, tournament. Archer comes down, drills this dude that's behind the guardrail, and we don't get an identification on him. He was just a random dude that get, got knocked out cold and presumably never returned. And Jericho is uh, just identifying Lance Archer. He's a mean man. And, like, Jericho, you can see, like, he is just playing off, like, whatever these guys have. He's like, there's some boom-boom, little bit of the boom-boom. And he was just... Like him and Shivani are a really fun team together. They are, yeah. Um, and I, I think Jericho really continues to put a priority on like giving high energy to his um, uh, commentary. You know, he he. It, it's a bit of a contrast, I think, to the heel character that he plays, which. I mean, it fits, but at the same time, it, it is a slightly, I would say, more exaggerated, more like enthusiastic version of it. And I think he realizes that, you know, having a loud, enthusiastic voice helps really mitigate perhaps some of the silence for these empty arena shows. So Archer rocks him with this short arm clothesline, did a twisting splash out of the corner. Then he misses a splash off the off the turnbuckle to Cabana, and Cabana fires up with an elbow, a tilt-a-whirl head scissors, and then the flying apple. 
and Jericho compared his leaping to Super Porky's, and he hit the bionic elbow, and then is met with the pounce, followed by a choke slam, and Lance Archer hits the blackout for the victory, and Lance Archer, uh, busting everyone's tournament brackets, he advances. <laughs> Are we doing brackets? No, but Colt Cabana was certainly not having his New Japan Cup r- run of last year uh, in this tournament. No, unfortunately not. I-, I thought it was a good showcase for Archer against an opponent of bigger size than Marco Stunt, obviously. Um, it was not really a competitive match, but it wasn't really meant to be. It was meant to be a showcase. And fit the story, like Cabana gave, like, here I am. I'm like, I'm underestimated. I know I'm the underdog. They played into that that theme and gave him, like, this ability. Like, can he – just all you're trying to do is give, like, a sliver of doubt. I think that's what you try to do in these situations and then exploit that. So, uh, fine match. Taped segment with Dr. Britt Baker. She has a taped-up nose from the attack last week during the match uh, with Hikaru Shida. And she's in her dental office and has – on the paper, rules of being a role model. Number one, always fight fair because Hikaru Shida didn't. And now she has a deviated septum and says she kept going even without her encouraging fans cheering her on. But then says, no, I did it all on my own. I'm still the face of this division. So who's the true winner? And she puts on the glove and then takes this syringe and just starts like shooting it. I Because uh, she had to get ready for her match. Uh, I guess so. What was she using this, uh, syringe for? Uh, I don't know what special, uh, oh, I guess, uh, what is it, uh, anesthesia? Maybe, maybe she's got an injury and she numbed the pain. Like, maybe her nose is, like, in throbbing pain yeah. and she had to shoot herself up before the match. Yeah, I guess, I wasn't that the idea? I guess so. It's, a uh, kind of a... Who, which, uh, it was The Undertaker once where they did that, where he had, like, some injury he had to go into a match with on some pay-per-view, and the doctor, like, had to shoot up his elbow. It's like, this is very bizarre for a pro wrestling setting. Isn't that, uh, isn't that completely against commission rules? Um, I would imagine, like, USADA would not approve of this, not after weigh-ins. Hmm. So, okay. um, Britt Baker continues to be such a tremendous personality. Yes, she's great. So all night long, we were going to get previews for the Jake Hager-John Moxley match. And all of a sudden, there on my screen, I'm staring at Ariel Hawani previewing this match, calling Jake Hager tougher than a $2 steak as he picked Jake Hager. And this this became comedic for many reasons, not the least of which was that like all the MMA people choose, chose Jake Hager and then all the wrestling guys picked John Moxley with the exception I guess of the inner circle. Yeah, yeah, right. Um I didn't expect to see Ariel on Dynamite tonight. I did not either. I did not yeah. know this in in advance. Uh then we had Taz previewing the match and picked Moxley and we come back from break and all of a sudden uh Taz has like transported himself to UFC in 2004 and he's Mark Lehman. Because it is now technique by Taz as he gives this scientific breakdown of the head and arm choke of Jake Hager using the gable grip, the judo technique. And this was accompanied by Bellator footage. And (laughs) as I was watching this, I was just imagining, like, given, like, how much Bellator was on this show, (laughs) imagining, like, that we will see Robin Black on Dynamite before the end of the year. Oh, we could only hope. Um, I think it's very possible. (laughs) Well... 
I mean, I thought Taz did a very good version of that level. Oh, of Taz was great. I really liked yeah. this segment. I, I think Robin would be proud if he saw something like this. You know, just having Taz break down the arm triangle, uh, talking about it, the judo version of it. I think, you know, uh, if, if if you've... Anytime we've reviewed wrestling from, like, a 2002, 2003, like, I, I've always been a big fan of Taz's commentary whenever he focuses on the sports aspects of it. And this... Or sings. Took, what? Or when he sang on commentary. Um, that too. So maybe we'll get a breakdown of that eventually. But, you know, as far as the sports goes, I mean, AEW took that element of him and basically amplified it by 10 with a breakdown like this. This makes, like, it makes nerds like, you know, you and I uh, go crazy. So I'm such a nerd for, like, you know, him focusing on, on like, you know, the joints and the points of contact and the points of pressure. And it just really makes this feel like it's a big sporting event. And a big fight that we're about to see. He talks about Moxley having been uh, done some training in MMA as well. I I've really been impressed with Taz within AEW. Um, I I am of the opinion that he will eventually be moved to the main broadcast because I think he fits that that their desire to deliver sports like pre- presentation really well. Um, you know, t- all their staff has been really good. Excalibur has been really good. Tony's been really good for what he's done. JR, JR has has been really good. But I, I, if I had to pick like a favorite color guy, I might actually say Taz right now. He's fit in very well, like seamlessly with this broadcast team, and it's very much um, his strength that that comes through in this. So he's been he's been a great addition. Cassandra Golden and Britt Baker. Um, Golden had lost her debut match to Hikaru Shida, and Baker super kicks her. And then poses on the apron while Golden is tending to her jaw. And then Baker places the teeth on the rope, stomps her just like she did to Yuka Sakazaki and pin Golden in a minute 11. And Jericho said she is creating her own patience because she's a businesswoman. So that's why she's destroying teeth. Would you go to the doctor that happened to break her teeth? I think I'd, ha- I'd hold a grudge. Especially for the immediate aftermath backstage. I guess that's a, would, if, if, if she could offer a discount. Yeah, um, I would be looking at, I am not going to pay you to fix my teeth. Instead, I might sue you for a blatant infraction of the rules here. Uh, I don't know if that's, I don't know if you, I mean, I don't know. I mean, why don't these people wear mouth guards against Britt Baker? I mean, the secret's out now what the game plan is. It's true. Um. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I think you know, perhaps this was a further, further um, rehabbing of Britt Baker, I suppose. After last week, um, it it made her look dangerous, certainly with this uh, jawbreak spot. Then we had comedian Ron Funches and Mike Goldberg. Funches picked Moxley, and Mike Goldberg is choosing Jake Hager. Here we go. Yes. I mean, he's just got all his lines ready. He he knows exactly what the people want from Mike. What Goldberg. what could have been at one point, John, are your lead raw commentator? He would have been the the lead commentator if everything had gone according to WWE's plan, where that October two thousand five debut on the USA Network, Mike Goldberg would have come to Raw replacing Jim Ross and would have had a new name because that was when they did not like Bill Goldberg. So he would have been uh Mike Mike Funches. Perhaps, yeah. God, did that man make the better career choice in 2005? I think so. I think he would have lasted a a year tops on that broadcast and would have hated it by the end. Santana's at home. 
Uh, this is the bubbly bunch. So we start with Santana. He's making fun of the Young Bucks. We cut to Ortiz, then to Sammy Guevara, who's lifting weights, and then just throws it away, and then starts uh, counting in Spanish on the heavy bag. And it's just going from one member to the next. Jake Hager is by his pool with his kids and goes Vince Vaughn with the uh, the earmuffs as he has the kids cover their ears as he says, I'm going to beat the shit out of John Moxley. <laughs> I think Jake Hager has kind of found himself as this. He's this legitimate badass, but he's also like Biff Tannen, like high school yeah. jock. I think they've all found their personality. And that that's that's really been one of the most impressive things about this this group is that they they not only seem to, you know, have good in-ring chemistry, but they have like good comedic chemistry with each other, good on-air chemistry, and everybody's personality has been able to shine in in their short incarnation. Santana um, has been very underrated. I mean, that guy yeah. to me has become a really great promo. From the moment we heard him do that that great one into the camera a few months ago, like that's a guy who um, has just all shown them, so huh? much personality. Yeah, all, I know. All it's of them. It, yeah. like they're they're like you know like the Spice Girls, like everybody exactly like the Spice Girls. Yes, everybody um, you know on their own, you can identify, and everybody might have their own favorite, but when they come together, I mean, it's five become one. Okay, it's uh, okay. So Ginger would be Jericho. Okay. Uh, Jericho Wait. Hallowell. Okay, sure. Yep, that works. Okay. Scary would be uh, Ortiz. Yeah. Yeah, that works too. Okay. Baby Spice. You know, I think Santana is definitely a, a, a bit of a posh. Santana is definitely posh. 100%. Sammy would be Baby Spice. S- Sammy, okay, as Baby Spice. And that would leave Hager as Sporty Spice. I mean, that is a pretty fucking good analogy. It's perfect. Man, that is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Almost if as though, good as your Bill Clinton, uh, or sorry, Hillary Clinton, Clinton, Donald Trump analogy to Carol Baskin and uh, Joe Exotic. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, you know, it, it it definitely. I have to be in the right mood to do my uh, my my political thoughts because then I then I always get the uh, the backlash from people the next day. All right, well that that was great actually. The Spice Girls. Uh, next we had Sammy Guevara against. The former Sugar Dunkerton, now Shug D, and man, Shivani and Jericho, they had no idea what this guy's name was. Suj. Suj. <laughs> Suj D. Suj. Sug Ed. Um, Jericho corrects Dasha Gonzalez for calling Guevara a Spanish god. He is the Spanish god. And then they battle over the pronunciation of Shug. And then Guevara does his delayed vertical suplex. I mean, this is really all just Sammy Guevara being the cocky heel. Jericho takes credit for recruiting him to AEW. And then he steps on on Shug D doing the Jericho pose with the flex and the one foot on top. And then a flying knee off the rope and a knee strike off of his shoulders for the win in six minutes with Jericho saying how he has coached him. And he would have been winning with a shooting star press months ago. Now he's winning with a knee to the face. Uh, yeah, to me, this was like, you know, a, a big debut of sorts for uh, the newly christened Pineapple Pete, who I think has quickly become a star jobber just based off of that name alone. Pineapple Pete. They maybe should have just gone with that. I mean, I think unofficially that's what his name will be. 
Guevara says the spoiler is that he's going to beat the shit out of Darby Allen, which uh, apparently they have no limit when it comes to, to shit drops on this. Uh, he's going to beat him in the tournament. Then he continues to attack Shug D and Darby runs in chasing him away. And that will be our match next week in the rematch from Revolution, which was a hell of a match for the short time that they had. Yes, it was. Then we had Big John McCarthy. He didn't make it to the Brawl for All, but he made it to AEW Dynamite. He's picking Jake Hager by submission. And man, I have listened to John McCarthy break down probably 500 fights in my life. (laughs) He was trying really hard to convey his enthusiasm for a match that I don't think there's a prayer he watched. Oh, God. Yeah. Do, do, Do you feel like they... Is there a reason? I mean, obviously because of Jake Hager connection, but do you think that they reached out to any UFC personalities or or is there no possibility of that? It's so weird. Like, obviously, with Jake Hager working with Bellator, they're just relying exclusively on on Bellator uh, fighters and and representatives. Um, Right. And then, of course, Ariel from ESPN. But what's so interesting is that TNT has a relationship with one championship, but that's – they're just focusing on Bellator, and I guess because these people can actually speak about Jake Hager, because I will guarantee you John McCarthy is not aware, and Josh Thompson don't know anything else about uh, John Moxley or anyone else on this roster. Sure, right. I was waiting for Randy, actually. Uh, Ra- yeah, it, they could have been. It's just so funny, because if you listen to John McCarthy and Josh Thompson's podcast, like Josh Thompson, like rails on pro wrestling, like he hates it, <laughs> and and to see him on here, like just feigning <laughs> e- excitement over something that my God was not something I can imagine he volunteered for, but I'm sure I'm sure it was just offered and didn't turn it down. Excalibur then says, if this was a steel cage match, it might favor Jake Hager, but it's not in a street fight environment. He has to go with John Moxley. Definitely the most technical breakdown uh, outside of Taz that we got on this show. Mm-hmm. Chuck Taylor, Kip Sabian. We had Penelope Ford and Orange Cassidy out. Um, Sabian hit a legit European uppercut, they noted, because he's from Europe. Michinoku Driver is hit by Chuck Taylor that Jericho says he is now calling the Chucky e. Cheese. And that Taylor should take that. Then they showed a shot of Billy Gunn next to Austin Gunn next to Marco Stunt, who he said looked like a set of chairs, which with each one shorter than the other. They looked like a stack of chairs. Sabian got several pin attempts and then Penelope Ford got on the apron, took off her jacket to try and uh, flirt with Chuck Taylor and distract him, then makes out with Kip. When Orange Cassidy then gets on the apron, he takes his jacket off to flirt. And this is when Jimmy Havoc has had enough. And he attacks Orange Cassidy after hopping the barricade and hitting him with an elevated DDT on the floor. Aubrey Edwards has her back turned. Penelope Ford hits a Rana off the top. Aubrey Edwards turns around right as Ford is exiting the ring. And Sabian gets the pinfall with the roll up on Taylor. Ten and a half minutes. I really didn't realize that uh, Jimmy Havoc was... Like a part of this a stable with Kip Sabian and Penelope Ford. They did explain on commentary that they're roommates. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that's that's the the sure. Why not? That's a, as good of a reason as any. Yeah, Jericho explained that Sabian and Penelope Ford have a nice bed, and Jimmy Havoc sleeps in a box. What an interesting house. Um, and that also explains why you know the lack of social distancing. Because I mean, they're all living together anyway. It was weird that he said he lives in a box because based on the uh, the year-end uh, BWE show, I thought he would be in a bin. 
Uh, oh, right. Yes. Yes. That's where he was discarded. That's right. Yes. <laughs> Took me a second. Dan Soder from Billions gave his preview. Then we heard from Ortiz and Sammy Guevara. And then our latest, uh, I will say squash match, Sean Spears against Justin Law. So, um, so if you remember, uh, Sean Spears lost, of course, to Cody last week. And so they not only... Well, they replayed that match, but then they also replayed Sean Spears' match from AEW Dark yesterday, where he beat Billy Gunn, um, and that led right into this. So, I mean, within the span of a week, you would have had three Sean Spears matches. That's a a lot of Spears in one week. Yeah. So, uh, this was real quick. Jericho mainly just used this to talk about how he loves Canada, but hates Niagara Falls, where Spears is billed from. There was a, a big clothesline to Law... After Law got in a little bit of offense, and then Spears cut him off C4 and won him uh, won the match in 2 minutes, 20 seconds, and he is done like takeout dinner, says Jericho. You know, it was just it was just more matches by this point in the show, um, and I guess you need to, you, you had people there, you wanted to rack up wins for people, um, I guess I was just ready to see this main event by this point. Yep, uh, and that was the focus all, all show long. They announced for next week... Dustin Rhodes against Kip Sabian and Sammy Guevara versus Darby Allen. So we're getting two tournament matches. Kenny Omega in action, Brody Lee in action, and Jimmy Havoc against Orange Cassidy. Josh the Punk Thompson picked John Moxley. And then Santana comments, says Hager is undefeated in both MMA and AEW. And his mission is bringing back the AEW title to the inner circle. And with, I would say, about almost 40 minutes of television time remaining... Shivani and Jericho sign off and we go to Daly's place where Jim Ross is calling the main event solo. No holds barred AEW title match with John Moxley defending against Jake Hager. And so, so, so this would have been filmed several weeks ago. Three like be- weeks? Four? How many, how many are we talking? When did they start at the, in Georgia? It was probably two, three weeks ago they started in Georgia, right? Or two weeks ago they started in Georgia. So it would have been like end of March? The last one in Jacksonville, I think, was March 25th. Yeah, something, maybe something like that. March okay. 25th or April 1st. No, because I believe they were in Georgia even prior to last week. Okay, then it was March 25th. March 25th was it was it was in Georgia. Yeah, I believe that that something week like that. that they were they were taping stuff. So okay. that's probably when this was done. And Jim Ross, I'm assuming, just called this remotely. Yeah, I would assume so too. So, yeah, much like more Ronaldo at the first half of NXT, which was also done remotely from his studio. So Moxley, I thought, first of all, right off the top, I thought Jim Ross was fantastic calling this match. I did, too, honestly. And, you know, um, I I was honestly surprised because I wasn't really sure how he would sound. Number one, solo. Number two, calling this style of match. Um, he sounded great. He was very knowledgeable, very much in his element, I thought, calling this very scientific MMA style of match. Some and great lines like this is professional life and death for Moxley. And they never felt like forced lines. They they wove into the story like I, I thought, like I, I really, really enjoyed this match. And Jim Ross was certainly a big part of it. You know, like hearing him in the lead role, calling the, the names of the booze, calling them the right names, too. And I think being able to like. Do everything, including like manning the ship, throwing to commercial, while still being able to convey storyline elements. I, I thought it was some of the best JR I've heard in a long time. 
And this was what four segments you would say? Like this was the level of like what we saw with uh, Alistair Black and Apollo Cruz. Yeah, or um Ed Jordan, Gargano Ciampa. Like trust oh, me, when I dude, dude, this one breathes by in comparison to some of those. Well, I mean that that would, you know, I I I was still honestly concerned to be honest with you, like when I was what when I saw the clock and saw that this match, this empty mm-hmm. arena match was scheduled to go that long, I certainly had like flashbacks. So they they start off in the ring and it's very much like just a, a wrestling slash grappling fight between the two. Um, Moxley is going for a Kimura. Then he moves to the STF, cannot apply it. And Hager just gets out kneeing the ribs. They go to the floor. Hager's got the knee down on the belly. And then Hager goes over the guardrail. And Jim Ross asks, why do we need these here if no one is here? Calling out the guardrails. And he also did this with the chairs later on. But I mean, Chris Jericho answered this last week. Yeah, but why would AEW put that out there for people to use as weapons? Well, they're masochists. They want these two to just kill one another. So oh, here, here's some here's some metal for you. Got it. They, they fought into the stands. Uh, John Moxley applies a figure four around the railing with Ross uh, bringing up Bret Hart. Uh, with this being shades of that, as they fight back, um, this is after Hager gets gets off the railing. Uh, the option is to suffer now. And then live the rest of your life as a champion. That's what Moxley is trying to do right now. And then it's tossed into the steps. Ross is bringing up how Hager's bank account will soar with a victory tonight. And then John Moxley, who has had his right arm um, attacked throughout the match, instinctually, Ross notes, uses it for a clothesline but ends up paying the price where he goes down and has further injured the arm. He tries for a gotch pile driver. It gets stopped. Hager goes to the ankle lock. And Moxley quickly counters into the inside cradle, only getting a two count. Then Hager goes to the arm triangle. Moxley gets to the rope. And he's moxing up. And Hager yells, calling him an idiot. Back to the floor. We go through one final commercial break. And Hager gets the chair and attacks the left ankle before applying the submission hold once again. Moxley just screams, break my fucking ankle. He screams as he fights to the rope. Hager pulls him away, and Moxley does the roll-through counter, exiting out of the submission, and Hager flies out, lands as Hager returns to the ring. He runs at him into a paradigm shift, and Moxley tries to turn it into a guillotine. Hager eventually staggers back to his feet, and he hits the low-running knee that has become his signature, and then whips a chair. Moxley grabs the chair, whips it at Hager, the chair is on the floor, and Hager takes the paradigm shift on top of the chair. Moxley gets the pinfall victory, and they just left the camera on Moxley for like three minutes after this, where this guy conveyed that he went through a war in this match. Certainly, yeah. I thought it was a, a good match. You know, if I had to kind of compare it to, to the obvious in Edge and Orton or Gargano and Ciampa, I thought this was better than those ones. I preferred this I mean, by the end, I did feel like this one even went a little bit too long. I, I For me, it was just like, man, the, the empty arena vibe really kind of takes away. But I thought this was this worked a lot better for me. It, it, did, it, it, it was a lot more dynamic in terms of like spots, in terms of offense than an Edge Norton match. Like it had, you know, that great ground segment, which I, I was really impressed not only to see H- uh, Hager work the style, but to see Moxley work that style. Like him doing, you know, faux MMA, like he actually talked about on Observer um, Live today, talked about how he's 
he's he used to participate in naga tournaments and how once he was uh released from the wwe he wanted to really incorporate jujitsu back into his life and you can really tell because the guy moves great so i i was really happy to see that him like do that that sort of style throughout the match but then like you know going through like i was able to like pinpoint and remember certain segments about this match um all throughout because they were always different you had the outside brawl you had the new japan kind of yay boo stuff at the end and um it was just a lot more memorable and dynamic hager i thought was also able to demonstrate his capability to go long in a main event style like this um so overall like even without an audience it it really felt like a convincing war yeah th- this one did not drag for me i i enjoyed this this was among my more favorite of these empty arena matches i th- i thought both worked a great match the commentary added a ton to it as well and more so than anything this certainly hyped me for whenever um they get to it doing that th- that match that they they started the angle for with John Moxley and Zack Sabre Jr. I think that's going to be unbelievable when they do it. Yeah, hopefully in front of a an audience. Yeah, yeah, but who knows when when that'll be. But anyway, I, I thought the buildup was really good throughout the show. Will be interesting to see um, if they if AEW has kind of plateaued at these numbers that they've been doing these last few weeks because this was certainly a bigger addition of Dynamite by promoting this match for several weeks and throughout the show tonight to really make this feel like a big time main event. Yeah, I would expect so. I I, I mean, I feel like if they stayed stable, I would consider that a disappointment. Yeah, um, I mean, last week they last week was the the nail biter where it was a six ninety three to six ninety two for NXT. So I would say for AEW, um, certainly you would you would hope that this this increases that number. Yeah, nothing promoted really on NXT. So no, other than we've got uh, Matt Riddle's uh, makeshift partner Timothy Thatcher to look forward to. So look cool. at that. Yeah. All right, we got some feedback. Uh, first off, the poll at forum.postwrestling.com. Tonight's AEW Dynamite got a 7.06. And starting things off is Maguire. What a crazy day. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Jericho on commentary is gold. The man is flat out hilarious. He sounded a little more devious and heelish this week, which is probably the right decision to go, as he's just too damn likable at times. Are you guys surprised that AEW is going ahead with double or nothing in May? I guess they need something for their storylines to build toward, but at this point... Anything happening a month from now feels so incredibly uncertain. The main event dragged for me due to the lack of crowd noise and JR on commentary. You could hear a pin drop. It stood in stark contrast to the higher energy of the rest of the show. Why did they go this direction for the title match? Overall, the show was nothing special, but managed to get carried along by Jericho. At least they didn't fire everybody. Six out of ten. Um, I, I disagree on the main event. I, I thought it was a really great presentation. And... Um, mm. I did not find the the atmosphere to be a negative in, in this setting. I it it did drag for me, um, mainly because I think of the lack of noise. And when you have like near falls that don't get any reaction, to me it just kind of stands out. Especially if you're dragging a match up to like you know a thirty minute length. That's it. I I mean I thought they did the best that they could considering their desire to go thirty minutes with an empty arena match. The reason why they did it that way was because they it was meant to be an empty arena match that they. And they needed an arena to actually shoot it in. And they shot this many weeks ago. They did not shoot this in the same place that the rest of the show was shot at. Yep. So that was probably the reason. Are you surprised that AEW is doing double or nothing in May? Surprise would not be the word, but I don't, I'm not a fan of it. Yeah, at this point, I guess I, I wouldn't really be surprised. What I would be curious to know is how much of the roster takes part in that show. 
Um, you know, we know we haven't seen the Bucks. We haven't seen, you know, any of the East Coast or, or uh, West Coast guys on any of these shows. Will they change that for this show? Will they get them to film matches on their tennis court to use for this event? Or will it just st- strictly comprise the talent that we've been seeing on Dynamite? Well, they're, do- they're doing Matt and Nick Jackson uh, being the elite next week. Yes. Which, uh, I, but, uh, believe me, on, on the list of things, like, doing these matches on being the elite, like, I don't get that at all. I think it's, I, I think it's really silly, honestly. Like, to see them, like, do things like a battle royal um, at a time when I, I just... I I I, really I don't get it at all. I don't I don't understand why they're they're continuing like even with one match like why that why they're making no. sure dark is like running. I I don't understand that at all. Wrestlers want to wrestle, man. Like okay, they, dude. They're like they're every single person in the world right now wants to be doing many of things. Course. Of course, yeah. So I'm not saying it's any excuse. I'm saying this is the mindset of a wrestler. You put them together, and you know you give them cameras, and you give them an excuse to. Um, do something. They will do as much as they can. And um, anyway, I I didn't really even watch it. I really didn't have that much interest myself. They did like like three BTS this week. We got an Andrew from Cape Breton who says show was fine, matches were decent, and they're presenting it like WWF superstars from back in the day. I also enjoyed some of the stuff from the Inner Circle and Taz recording some stuff from home. AEW really knows how to work in these hard times. Jericho was also great on commentary as per usual. I tried to get into their watching AEW contests as I could use a bit of the bubbly right now. As a matter of fact, I think a couple of people could use a bit of the bubbly. I haven't seen a bloodletting like this in ages with WWE. To comment on it, I think the fact that they kept that they kept constantly coming out instead of coming out in one shot made things worse as the whole day you were thinking about who was next. Then there would be more releases... Then there could be more releases, and I'm sure people in WWE right now are having a miserable time. Hopefully things get better. I don't disagree with that. I I think you could have simply, like, make all your calls. There's no reason, like, the website has to be, um, you know, the priority. And then at the when all those calls are made, everyone is aware, you put up one announcement, and it's not this constant refreshing. And people that have not received those calls yet you know, petrified of their phone ringing. Um, I do get that. People are going to tweet out though. Like in, in, inevitably once the word of one release gets out, you're going to get that panic. Yeah. But I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's to me, um, you know, pe- people knew they were coming, but it was also, I mean, this was, you know, at the end of the day, also driving traffic to WWE that probably was through the roof all day. Sure. Yeah. Kenny writes, decent show tonight, but that main event was brutal. When I saw how much time was left on the show when the match started, I let out an audible, oh no. I don't understand why both companies think a, th- think a street fight needs to go 30 plus minutes. It's supposed to be a wild street fight, not a long technical battle. They did an awesome job hyping up the fight and all the social media stuff, but then it was a total dud. Archer looked awesome, Penelope Ford is a star, and Sammy continues to be the best. Six out of ten. Maybe I'm in the minority here, Way. You know, I mean, it was a big match, and really, if you cut out the commercials, I think it really was, what, like, maybe 20, low 20s, maybe? Probably. Um, you know, they, they, like, in the end here, they are trying to fill content, okay, with, like, I think, I don't know, um, number one, having your stars on screen in a big match, but secondly, to try to be economical, I suppose, with with the, the amount of uh, time that they have to even film things. 
So I guess that's why. Nick from Lansing says, Exhausting day. It was a fun show and made for a good distraction. As soon as he's done with Matt Hardy, Chris Jericho should clearly head into a feud with Orange Cassidy. They'll do a match at some point. I'm sure, I'm sure Jericho would uh, like to do a match with him at some point. Do you expect to see Matt Hardy, I, I guess, in the arena anytime? Um, I mean, Rebby Hardy has made it pretty clear she is not a fan of that idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess that nothing was really made of um, that challenge, to uh, no, the Hardy I, Compound Challenge. I mean, in theory, that would be, to me, what you would want to do at Double or Nothing is Jericho and Matt Hardy doing the on-location uh, shoot. Right. And maybe that's possible that you know they could do that at, at Hardy's Compound and, and shoot it there. Um, if, I mean, if, Re- if Rebby would even be cool with that. Yeah, I mean, and... She has every right to be concerned, so that's mm-hmm. completely justifiable. Trent writes, I'll focus my feedback on the main event. I've generally been a defender of Jim Ross while my friends have criticized him in recent years, but I found his work in tonight's match lackluster. I think it was a mistake to have him call the match solo. He needs someone to work off of. I also had a huge problem with the officiating. The referee was enforcing rope breaks while they were in the ring, but apparently falls counted anywhere on the outside as he was asking Hager if he wanted to submit to the figure four around the pole. Uh, Typically what that is, is that for falls count anywhere, it's... What's always been like the that the the rope is still like still considered like outside of the structure that they still break it. I didn't even notice like the uh, the submission attempts on the floor. So well, the figure four. Yeah, but was he asking him if he was submitting? I don't recall. Anyway, um, anyway, the low blow spot made the referee spot made the ref made a point of saying it was legal because it was to the inner thigh. The match was no holds barred. It makes no difference where the shot landed. I know it's been said many times, but these refs have to figure out what the rules are. I mean, I think those are valid criticisms. You know, um, I honestly wasn't even paying such close attention. So could be right. We got a Noah from Vaughn who says, Very tough day with all the news. The Drake Maverick video he posted was just gut-wrenching. I hope all those affected are able to bounce back on their feet as soon as possible. And once this subsides, I hope they are welcome back to the WWE. On to Dynamite, I thought it was a fine show. Nothing great, but nothing bad. Britt's video was fantastic. Hager and Mox was a tad slow, but was definitely a different style of match compared to most AEW matches. I thought the commercials really broke up the flow of it. 7 out of 10 show, but I don't believe April 15, 2020 will be remembered in the wrestling world for this. No, that's certainly the case. Alexander from Portland, is there any better bromance in pro wrestling right now than Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara? I hope these guys stick together for a while. Hager and Moxley was not nearly as good as the build was, but for a television feud, it was pretty successful. Considering which guys were and weren't in attendance for the month or two of tapings done recently, who do you think will become the number one contender for John Moxley? If we're going by win-loss record, I think it'll be tough to keep Omega out of contendership, but I can't see AEW having such a big match happen in an empty arena environment. Um, if they, I don't think it has anything to do with the environment. It has to do that we have to sell a pay-per-view. So it, if they're running this pay-per-view, um, it makes all the sense in the world to do as big a match of, as possible, if not larger matches than you might have planned for this because – the whole point of this is getting people to buy this pay-per-view or else this pay-per-view makes even less sense if you're not even stacking it to to make money off of. And who do you think that would be? Who are the candidates for Moxley? 
Well, I think it ultimately comes down to, like, who is going to be available to this show. We don't know the location. Like, where is this going to be? That's going to affect who can even be in attendance at this show. If we're looking at just this crew, uh, I don't know if I'm dying to see a pay-per-view with just, like, this this roster. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then your options, like, it can't be Cody for storyline purposes. Like, you, you would have the, the finals of the TNT Championship, and then that leaves you with... Moxley, uh, sorry, Moxley with with Kenny Omega with uh, Jericho, which they just did, which they just did, and you would think that you know Jericho is kind of earmarked now for Matt Hardy, but I mean all of this is up in the air of uh, where you can go here. Yeah, yeah, I mean the rest of the guys are kind of taken up. I mean we would we're presuming Archer will be in the tournament finals, maybe with Cody. Um, and that kind of leaves guys like Sean Spears who just lost in the first round of the tournament. Wouldn't really make sense there. Um, could it be Sammy Guevara? Could it be, could it be Darby Allen? Darby Allen. Um, we haven't seen Pentagon and Phoenix on these shows. Um, a lot of guys we haven't seen. Yeah. Yeah. As you're just going through them. I mean, it's not, if like, if this is the roster you have to pick from, it's like, it really comes down to like your key ones are, are Moxley Jericho, um, you know, Cody would be featured prominently, um, but, you know, for storyline purposes, not going for the title right now. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, we got a Gerard who says, apart from Colt versus Archer, this was the weakest empty arena dynamite thus far. And for a company that seems willing to learn from their mistakes, I was very surprised how long they let Moxley versus Hager go. The Dustin versus Hager match at Revolution was the worst match on that show and should have been a big signal for them to keep Hager matches shorter. I, I am honestly surprised, I think, by by um, some of the negative reaction to the match. Like, I overall enjoyed the match and felt like too, it, was, yeah. it, it was, you know, um, to me, the best attempt I've seen at a 30-minute empty arena match that we've seen recently. <laughs> at the same time, maybe that was the problem itself, the fact that it was such a long long match. Yeah, I I, I really enjoyed it. I got into the match. I, I, I liked it quite a lot. So, anyway, maybe... Uh... Maybe you and I enjoyed it more more than most out there, but uh, we appreciate everyone's opinions regardless. So thank mm-hmm. you for uh, tuning into the show. We are going to be back Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern time for the Cafe Hangout. Uh, Brandon Thurston from WrestleNomics is going to be joining us, and we will chat with him about all the latest and kind of the financial picture of WWE one week away from their next quarterly investors call, which once they're doing it next week, it's a 5 p.m. call. Yeah, so we won't be able to cover it at, uh, on the Hangout, but we'll certainly be talking about it through our coverage either way. All right, so we'll chat with you on the Hangout. We will be opening it up to phone calls as well, so we hope you will join us. All members of the Post Wrestling Cafe can tune into that one uh, at 3 o'clock Eastern. And also want to give a mention to the Starcade review that we just put up on Tuesday night. I really enjoyed this review quite a lot. Uh, we spent uh, two and a half hours chatting about Starcade 83, featuring Ric Flair challenging Harley Race for the NWA title and was a great uh, look at this era of history. John put a great deal of uh, time into his research for the show, and I I was really happy with the way everything turned out too, so do listen to it. And I also want to uh, give some uh, uh, plugs this weekend, of course. We have the British Wrestling Experience coming up on Friday. The latest edition of the Rocky Maivia Picture Show is out on Saturday on our free feeds, and yes, it will be our man Neil who will be joining Nate Milton as they talk about talk about uh, Journey to Journey to the Mysterious Island. Journey to, and as I mentioned on Monday, 
the big premiere of the brand new Rocky Maivia Picture Show t-shirt will also be released on Saturday at store.postwrestling.com. This thing is amazing. I think it'll be the, the, the hottest fashion item of the, the, the year. It'll be the Tiger King of wrestling t-shirts. And that'll premiere Saturday concurrently with the release of this episode of the Rocky Maivia Picture Show. And then on Sunday, it is the final edition of Thunderstruck. Yes, I've got to follow Wei Ting, which <laughs> I listened to the show and then we get to the end and all of a sudden you're talking about like it was just a, like a mind fuck oh where you're talking about like, oh, our upcoming Q&A in Tampa. And I was like, when the hell did he tape this? Uh, dude, I haven't even done the show yet and it's coming out oh. on Sunday. Well, so, I, I, obviously, I taped it before everything went down. It was so bizarre to hear like, obviously, it's going to happen like you tape stuff, but it, t- just to hear you talking about that and it's like part of me is like god what way is about to this version of way is about to live through is crazy like i can't even imagine being back at that like six weeks ago it wasn't even that long ago that no i I know but it's like you feel like imagine where we were as like us personally like where we you know not like in japan that had already gone through it but just where our lives were uh seven weeks ago i taped that on february 21st Oh my god! Okay, so this was like two months ago. But that wasn't even that long ago, honestly. Like I, my HVAC filter, I didn't is. I'm just looking at my schedule. My HVAC filter isn't even that old. So <laughs> my Brita filter filter isn't even that old, John. This is how I calculate time. Okay. Well, it feels even way longer before that when Jushin Thunder Liger retired uh, back on January the fifth with his, with his final match, and then following day at New Year Dash with the retirement ceremony. Uh, WH and I will chat about the two matches from Wrestle Kingdom that weekend, followed by the retirement cer- ceremony at Oda Ward Gymnasium, and we were there for all three of those shows. So that's going to be coming up on Sunday, the series finale. Of Thunderstruck, where Jushin Thunder Liger, his career officially comes to an end at post wrestling. Big week as, as always here. The news okay. never ends. So, uh, who knows what'll happen tomorrow? All right. Uh, thanks to everyone for checking out the show tonight. We appreciate it. We'll speak with you on Thursday with the Hangout. <laughs>